Hello and welcome to This Week Explained. I am Tiana. And I'm Kervin. And today we will be discussing the big geopolitical events of the week. But first, thank you to all of our new listeners. We've noticed a slight uptick in listen since the last episode and we are humbled and grateful that you would take the time to listen to us try to explain the news in as unbiased a way as possible, although sometimes our opinions sneak in there anyways. <laughs> Hey, everybody's allowed to have opinions, but uh, yeah, we, yeah, we don't want to push our opinions onto other people. Yeah, we want you to make your own decisions about everything. So, Definitely. with that being said, with that being said, let's get started. We have a lot to cover. What is on your radar this week? All right, obviously Russia, Ukraine. We're going to go on uh, talk about that, but we'll discuss Brazil, who's fouled to uh, buy Russian fuel at a discount. Uh, with that, the Nord Stream uh, sh- has shut down to Europe. Russia and Belarus plan an attack on Lithuania. Oh, no. Yeah. Then uh, we'll start talking about... We have a lot of stuff about Russia in this one. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so uh, Iran is possibly supplying drones to Russia. Uh, then we'll get into uh, to a China story, which is how Chinese banks halted cash distribution. And then there was a U.S. Navy destroyer that entered the South China Sea. Right, we'll Move over and talk about uh, the Sri Lankan protests. Mm-hmm. Uh, then remember last week we briefly touched on the resignation of Boris Johnson. So we'll get into <clears throat> the implications of that. Okay. And then uh, this week's talk on extremism will be about Antifa. Um, we had to you, hit on that at some point, you, you know. Yeah, and Antifa is really interesting <laughs> to me, um, okay. just on on many different levels. So I'm I'm excited yeah. to to talk about that. It was it was fun researching that. Okay. And then uh, history's mysteries will be about the Plam affair. Okay, well, let's get to the Russia Ukraine update. What has been the latest this week? So yeah, uh, we've got some pretty big news as Turkey has facilitated a a very small peace agreement that could really help everybody in those rising grocery prices. Well, that'll be nice. Uh, Can you explain the deal and how that came about? So, yeah, uh, Russian and Ukrainian officials met in Istanbul, Turkey this week to discuss removing that Russian blockade on Ukrainian grain exports. Yeah. And... After three hours, uh, there was a tentative agreement that Russia would allow Ukraine to begin its export of grains again. And what was Russia's concern on allowing Ukraine to do this? So Russia said that they were concerned that Mm -hmm. Ukraine would instead be smuggling arms in and out of the country. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay. So Turkey agreed to facilitate oversight of all ships entering and exiting uh, the Black Sea, all Ukrainian ships. Yeah. Now, uh, when you UN officials were asked if a peace deal, a complete peace deal to end the month-long war was close, UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez admitted that the deal was far from being negotiated successfully. I think we've mentioned several times on this podcast that it would be a long bridge to connect the two negotiating sides. Anything else specifically within Ukraine you want to touch on? Yeah, there's, man, there's a lot. But uh, I want to make mention and highlight the continued civilian deaths that are occurring due to Russian bombings. And this week, um, I've had a tough time 
uh, doing the research on this because because of the videos that have been coming out. But uh, Russia bombed the city of Venezia. And um, at least, as far as we know now, 17 people, including one child, uh, have been killed in the bombing. Um, Civilian buildings and a cultural center in the heart of the central Ukrainian city were hit. Mm -hmm. But the other significant part of this action is that the city's 250 kilometers southwest of Kiev. So it's a great distance from the major fighting in the eastern part of Ukraine. Any significance to that city that would provoke a Russian attack? No, not really. Uh, It's just another location to add to Russia's indiscriminate bombing. And I mean, it's tough to be unbiased here, like we talked about in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, But we have to call out the atrocities when it happens and we'll do it. When an atrocity happens, I don't care who did it. We're going to call it out. Now, Russia has opened the full Syria playbook. And so Putin hopes that's going to lead to a swift takeover of that country, uh, the country of Ukraine. It's tough to even hear these stories coming out of Ukraine, Um, much much less being there for all this stuff, you know. Since leaders are unable to hold Russia accountable right now, is there any way to solve this crisis, at least at least the civilian bombing? <laughs> well, so there's two solutions, uh, but neither are on the table right now. So, Great. Well, yeah. Uh, one, NATO finally gets involved militarily and begins to push back Russian forces, uh, mm-hmm. but that has its own consequences. And that would be a possible nuclear event, which would be even more tragic. Yeah. Now, the other solution is to isolate Russia completely from the global markets. But that's going to fast track Russia's alliances with China, North Korea, Iran, and even Brazil. Okay, I'm glad that you mentioned Brazil there. Can you explain their involvement in alliance with Russia? Well, so Brazil is looking to buy as much diesel as it can from Russia at a very steep discount. Now, Brazil is part of the BRICS alliance, which just stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. And the, yeah. yeah. So it's also <laughs> random. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but, but these countries have met annually since 2009 to improve their alliance. Would there be any sanctions on Brazil if they go ahead with this purchase? Well, Brazil doesn't think so, and it's specifically because of the BRICS alliance. So they believe their work with Russia supersedes the sanctions in place since the Russian invasion of Ukraine happened well after their alliance. Okay. Now, uh, Brazil specifically mentioned Germany when asked about sanctions being placed, as Germany continues to have fuel provided by Russia. Now, uh, Germany continues to reach out to other fuel suppliers in order to cut off its dependence on Russian fuel, which a German official said this week the country would be without fuel by November if no solution is oh found. And all that comes at a time when the Nord Stream has shut off its flow to Europe, right? Correct. And so this was a planned shutdown to perform maintenance on the pipeline. But what a nice timing. (laughs) Right. Uh, It's supposed to be a 10 day maintenance. And um, European officials uh, fear it will not come back online for months due to the sanctions that they put on Russia. And to add balance to the podcast, I do want to mention that Kremlin's spokesperson, Dmitry Peskov, dismissed claims that Russia was using oil and gas to exert political pressure. 
saying the maintenance shutdown was a regular scheduled event and that no one was quote unquote inventing any repairs. So you guys take that however you may. All right. Well, we'll leave that up to the listeners. Um, Let's move to a possible attack on Lithuania. What is the story there? All right. So uh, this week, Russian President Vladimir Putin and his counterpart, (laughs) Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko, Mm -hmm. are coordinating a possible joint response against Lithuania. What did those countries insist Lithuania did that was so harmful? The two countries are concerned after Lithuania imposed European Union sanctions on materials heading to Russia's Kaliningrad territory on the Baltic Sea coast. A spokesman for Lithuanian Customs said uh, this week that concrete, wood, alcohol, and alcohol-based industrial chemicals were among additional goods barred by Lithuania. Hitting Russia where it hurts most in the alcohol and alcohol-based industry. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Do you think it can cause physical conflict? So not immediately, but it does help strengthen Russia's relationship with Belarus, which could be very critical once this conflict expands past Ukraine. Well, we'll keep an eye out on that. Um, Now that we are talking about strengthening ties with Russia, what is Iran thinking right now supplying drones to Russia? Yeah, so Iran has a lot of issues. So, yeah. I mean, we'll start with the huge news this week uh, mm-hmm. that was released that Iran would begin to supply Russia with its arsenal of drones. So mm-hmm. this was all released a week before President Putin is due in Tehran, which is the capital mm-hmm. of Iran. Mm-hmm. Now, I do want to be clear that this is only news from U.S. intelligence reporting, Uh But Iran did not deny the claims and only made mention that their cooperation with Russia preceded the war in Ukraine. Now, this is directly in your wheelhouse. So I kind of want to moderate this portion a bit because we could could be here for hours talking about drones. But let's do it. Okay, listen very carefully to what I'm asking because I don't want you to like... (laughs) going off on tangents okay okay do you do you you know anything about the iranian drone arsenal okay so i'm gonna i will keep it brief trying to keep this under 30 minutes so yeah because last week we kind of went off (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, so we we could do a whole podcast on on drones and 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 we did a few months ago oh yeah that's true yeah 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 uh, but sorry, going down the, the rabbit hole. Yeah, here. shut but, up, Kervin, but talk, but, but shut up. So most of the drones used by Iran are the mm-hmm. kamikaze style drones. The, those are equipped with explosives and they're flown with pre-programmed coordinates to hit a target. So it's basically oh. a missile. Yeah. Now, Iran uh, does have a wide range of UAVs. Those are unmanned aeronautical vehicles. That's what are drones. And... um. Those can be used for uh, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, or ISR, missions. Now, most notably, the Quds Mohajer 6, which can fly for about 12 hours uh, and perform a host of ISR mission sets, is one of their their more popular versions. Mm. And and there are two versions of that drone. Uh, One hold the, so the the Alpha holds two uh, IR-guided missile, and the the Bravo holds four IR-guided missiles. 
Now, it's not clear what type of drone Iran is planning to provide Russia, if it plans to provide them at all. Um, And that's because they're dealing with their own potential conflict with Israel. Yeah, that wouldn't make much sense unless Russia has agreed to support a war with Israel, right? Very, very true. Good point. There's more to follow on that, um, especially, uh, and look out for this, if we begin to hear rumblings of Russia supporting Iran's nuclear development. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Well, while we wait on that, let's move over to Asia and talk Chinese banks halting payouts. What summary do you have for those events? All right, so this dates back to April uh, when multiple rural Chinese banks that had offered uh, exceptionally high interest rates. Uh, so the, a bunch of people started putting uh, their money into those accounts. So when those individuals went to pull their money out of the bank, they were refused that withdrawal service. <gasps> oh, that's sneaky. Right. And, and what happens when you, people are refused their money? That's when protests begin. Yeah. And that's what happened here. Now, uh, Chinese authorities then attempted to use uh, COVID rules to deny those individuals freedom of movement in order, uh, the the freedom of movement in order to protest at various banks. Oh, my gosh. This is so sneaky. Yep. And that all culminates. It's very terrible. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um. That all culminated with this week's violent clashes. And and so another sneaky thing, but this done by the protesters, is the protesters arrived at the banks before 4 a.m. to subvert the COVID rules and remained in place until authorities arrived and began attempting to disperse the crowd. Well, I'm not sure I understand why the banks were not allowing the people to withdraw funds. So the the answer to that may be more interesting the most interesting part of the story. Yeah. Now, uh, back in April, media reports began running that the head of the bank's parent company was on the run and wanted for financial crimes. Shocker. Right. So, with that knowledge, people began to look into moving their money into a more reliable banking system. That's when they learned they could not withdraw funds from the bank. Now, the, the overarching ramifications of this are twofold. So one, when people can't access their money, like we said, they will protest. Yeah. Even in a country like China. So two, uh, Chinese COVID rules have set a precedence for lawfully tracking individuals in order to squash any type of uprising. Now that could come into play in the near future in a contested area like Taiwan. Now, I believe the geopolitical portion of this story is actually how far China will go to keep, quote, unquote, peace within yeah. its borders. And that could include disputed borders along the South China Sea. Speaking of borders, what happened with a U.S. ship possibly entering Chinese waters? Well, sure. Let's uh, let's continue talking about disputed areas on the map. So. Okay. Earlier this week, a U.S. Navy destroyer, which is the USS Benfold, 
sailed past the Paracel Islands and continued with operations in the South China Sea. Now, the U.S. Navy said the operation, quote, upheld the rights, freedoms, and lawful uses of the sea. But China stated the destroyer had illegally entered China's territorial waters and that the Chinese army organized naval air, naval and air forces to track and monitor it. They sent warnings and tried to drive it away. Now, all of this just adds to the tensions in the Asia Pacific, and it could be a precursor to conflict regarding uh, that before mentioned country of Taiwan. Um, speaking of conflict, what do you know about the protests in Sri Lanka? Oh, yeah. So a lot has gone on over there in the last few weeks. So massive protests about government corruption sprung up in the last few weeks. And all that came to a head this week when the Sri Lankan president fled the country and protesters stormed both the presidential palace and the prime minister's office demanding their resignations. The Sri Lankan president said this week he would resign and new leadership would have the ability to be in place, changing multiple decades of ruling in the small country. However, before officially resigning, the president fled the country, leaving the office of president to the prime minister, citing a section of its constitution that allows a prime minister to discharge the powers, duties, and functions of the office of president. And this is when the president is ill or absent. <laughs> absent. absent <laughs> yeah. from Sri Lanka uh, or fleeing from Sri yeah. Lanka. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those are interchangeable in this instance, for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, now, after protesters then took control of the government office, uh, the president did send his official resignation. And as we speak, that is being verified. And hopefully a calm to the unrest is in the near future. Uh, the hope is that newly elected <laughs> officials can stop the current corruption running rampant in that country. Well, that was quite a roller coaster for the people of Sri Lanka, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, we do hope that the corruption is stopped and the people get their country back. Now, last week, you briefly mentioned the resignation of Boris Johnson. Do you have an update and what the geopolitical repercussions of this resignation will be? Yeah. So just like the Sri Lankan story before this, uh, the Boris Johnson resignation was months, if not years in the making. Now, Boris Years Johnson in would, the making. Yeah, well, because he was not a particularly liked leader, um, at least outside of his party and also within uh, the media. Well, yeah, I, I heard all the booing at the Queen's Platinum Jubilee whenever he it, showed up at the Thanksgiving service. So, yes. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so COVID hit. Um and that started a firestorm as lockdowns led to the in inevitable, as we see here in the U.S., rules for thee and not for yes, me. Yes, of course. We're looking at you, Newsom and Pelosi, yeah. and <laughs> keep going. Every we'll name Everyone. we'll name them all. Name them all. <laughs> name and shame. Yes, name and shame. So. Uh, the, the quasi uprising against Boris Johnson started when it was leaked that he had participated in many multiple large gatherings or parties while the regular folks suffered in isolation. Rich people don't get COVID. You didn't know that? They're immune. Well, that's the cure. <laughs> Millions of dollars. <laughs> well, so then reports began to come out about the uh, the Tories deputy chief whip Chris Pincher. 
Mm-hmm. And sources were saying he was regularly seen at a conservative members club, very drunk, and at times had groped young men without their consent. Oh, my. So Boris Johnson's office initially said they would investigate, but that Mr. Pincher would retain his status as deputy chief whip. Oh, come on, man. So once the claims were verified and Mr. Pincher resigned, a domino effect of resignations within Boris Johnson's cabinet made it inevitable that Mr. Johnson would need to resign as he no longer held the confidence of the British people. Okay, so what does this mean in regards to the geopolitical realm? So this is huge uh, and and could have ramifications across the globe. Um, It could also be a warning to all other leaders that the people will hold their leaders accountable for all infractions. So now the the ruling conservative party in the UK is beginning to see their hold on power greatly diminish, which could lead to changes in regards to Brexit, Mm -hmm. as well as any actions towards Russia, China and Iran. So. There's still a lot left to figure out, and we won't really know for sure what direction the country will go for at least a few months. Uh, They're going to put a new prime minister in place in September. Okay, we'll make a note to keep an eye out on that. Um, Are you ready to get into the extremism portion of the podcast, sir? Uh, Yeah, definitely. And so this week may be quite polarizing, but I just want to make people aware of this group, who they are, what they do. And, as always, how to protect yourself from actions that sometimes become quite violent. And also, if you're listening to us from the Pacific Northwest, you probably have a lot of knowledge on this group as well. Not probably. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's get right into it then. All right. So this week, I did want to talk about Antifa and kind of go over who they are and also who they're not. So. Who are they? They are a left-wing, anti-fascist, and anti-racist political movement, which, you know, those are very worthy causes. Yeah. However, the definition of anti-fascist and anti-racist can become blurred or confusing. So, due to its decentralized structure, various wings of Antifa can define their activism as anarchist and anti-government, and they could be grouped in with other militia groups that actually hold opposing views. And this actually leads to violent clashes, especially in cities like Portland and Seattle. Who are already super progressive. Right. Yeah. Um, now, the, the key with Antifa is its perceived decentralized structure. So they don't really have an overarching leader. Uh, so it makes it difficult to identify actual members, which can skew the data on violence perpetrated by the group. Now, Antifa groups are heavily active on social media. And they do coordinate, I want to make this abundantly clear, they do coordinate peaceful protests of various laws, perceived acts of government abuse towards protected groups, Uh and they are heavily involved in countering white supremacist rallies. So, the first way to protect yourself, don't participate in white supremacist (laughs) rallies. That's probably the easiest for our listeners to abide by. Yeah. Also, uh, while I continue to mention they are considered a decentralized group of individuals, they do have a common symbol, which combines the red flag of the 1917 Russian Revolution and the black flag of 19th century anarchists. Okay. Also, they can be seen wearing uh, all black with black face masks, 
and they mainly focus on counter protests they view as hurtful or hateful towards protected groups. I'm going to link a lot of the information on the group, uh, but understand that anytime uh, you can find yourself in the middle of a peaceful, powerful protest, it may turn violent and you should always have an exit plan in order to remain safe. So it's my suggestion that if you see a large group of individuals with that previously mentioned Antifa flag and black attire moving towards your location, immediately move to a safe space and allow the authorities to deal with any actions that may turn violent. Well, thank you for that. Um, Are you sorry? Are you ready for History's Mysteries? I spaced out. (laughs) No worries. Are you ready for History's Mysteries? Is it about sport? Uh, No, not this week. All right, then let's do this. All right. (laughs) So this week I went with a fairly recent spy story um, and wanted to highlight how well-meaning journalists can dismantle the career, livelihood, and overall future of particular individuals just by using their name. And that's why this week I wanted to talk about Valerie Plame and the Plame Affair. This is starting off pretty good. Give us the details. Uh, so details about Plame's professional career are still classified, but it is documented that she worked for the CIA in a non-official cover capacity related to uh, counterproliferation. Can you explain counterproliferation before we get into the nitty gritty of this? Sure. Uh, so it is diplomatic intelligence and military efforts to combat the proliferation or spread of weapons. Got it. Okay, keep going. All right. So she began operating in Athens, Greece, and then Brussels, Belgium, under her own name, while posing in various cover professional roles in order to gather intelligence more effectively. Now, the most fascinating part of this story, however, deals with her writing of a memo to her superiors in which she expressed hesitation in recommending her husband, Joseph C. Wilson, to the CIA for a mission to Niger to investigate claims that Iraq had arranged to purchase and import uranium from the country, uh, but stated that he may be in a position to assist. Uh, In July of 2003, her husband wrote a series of op-eds questioning the the war in Iraq's factual basis. Mm Mm-hmm due to his lack of confidence that Iraq had sought to obtain uranium from African countries like Niger. Now, in investigating Mr. Wilson's op-eds, a journalist from the Washington Post named Robert Novak obtained information that Mr. Wilson's wife worked for the CIA and named her as a covert CIA officer. And this is why uh, I mentioned at the beginning, it was a very well-intentioned journalist, probably thinking he's just doing his job which set off a domino effect that would lead to the conviction of former chief of staff to Vice President Dick Cheney, Scooter Libby. That sounds like a made-up name. All right. I mean, I know, I know it's not, but... <laughs> no, it's not, but... <laughs> now, the okay. other person named in the Plame Affair was former diplomat and government official Richard Armitage, and he was not convicted. So not the actor. No, <laughs> No, he was he was a former Navy officer from the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I mean, not no, no, he's not in Lord of the Rings. He's in the Hobbit. Sorry. Yes. Okay, but sorry. that's not him. That's my tangent. All right, bring it back. <laughs> sorry. And uh, and no, but he was not convicted. Uh, 
He went on to keep his job, unlike Valerie Plame, who had to resign and find employment elsewhere. Well, thanks a lot for blowing her cover, sir. Yeah. So what has she been doing since then? Uh, well, she has been doing the thing that all great and even not so great spies do to make a living after government service. She wrote a memoir. Oh. She also consulted on a movie about her life. And finally, like all spies, tried to run for office. Like all spies? All former spies. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I was unaware of this this track that all well, former spies. Well, a lot spies... of them do. Oh, okay. If you say uh, so. Yeah, you get into government service, you stay in it, I guess. Yeah, that's that's true. Look at you. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but she was unsuccessful in running for New Mexico's third congressional district uh, in a recent 2020 election. And also... She found some controversy after she retweeted an article titled, America's Jews are Driving America's Wars. Oh, for F's sake. Yes. (laughs) F's sake. F's sake. That was really hard holding that back. (laughs) Let me give another little piece of advice to people. Please read things before you post something. Yeah. There there may be a piece of an article that you agree with. That's, That's fine. Uh. Definitely this title, though, falls under the disagree portion for me and you, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So before you post things, you may want to make sure it's not, um, I don't know, anti-Semitic before posting. Come on, people. um, But I mean, reading isn't going to help that. Look at the title. (laughs) The title is anti-Semitic. Like, what? Yeah, it wouldn't help. Uh, you know, I've got nothing for, for her and why why she did that other than possible underlying anti-Semitic thoughts it's and feelings from her. It's not underlying. It's well, not I'm trying underlying. to give people the benefit of the doubt. But, you, um, okay, okay. All right, I'm calming down. But no, no, you're... Thank, thank you for that advice. Yeah. Thank Please, you for people. that. Yeah. Um, is there anything else for this week? Um, after that, I think we are out of time. Well, as always, if you like this show, please try to tell at least one person about us. We can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have a moment, head over to Apple or Spotify Podcasts and give us a review because those can help us get noticed by thousands of podcast listeners globally. And as always, if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, please subscribe to our community at oakwindanalytics.com. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.